Uh, I'm going to read uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 39, and then we'll get going. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Father, we ask that you would give us exceptional wisdom as we look at a difficult passage. Father, we um, ask for your help and understanding, uh, God, how we can love you more. How we can love you more than spouse or more than parents or more than children. How we can love you even more than our own life. Father, I pray that you would guide us uh, through the passage, Father, just opening our eyes to see it clearly. God, I pray that your spirit would just grab hold of hearts and captivate them with your greatness. Lord, reveal your truth to them. And Father, give us a will to obey. Give us a will to, to cultivate this kind of relationship with you. Father, we need your help. We pray for, for strength, Father, to obey the word today. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So, 700 years before God steps out of the heavens and into human flesh, into the, uh, uh, the womb of the Virgin Mary uh, to live the perfect life and to die a sacrificial death. 700 years before that happens, Isaiah the prophet prophesied of Jesus, and, and he said this about him. He said in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Okay, did you hear that? So 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah the prophet said of him, he will be the Prince of Peace. Now, when he came, so when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, so when God stepped out of the heavens into the womb of the Virgin Mary, was born in Bethlehem, and Luke 2.14 says, a, a, a multitude of angels appeared, and this is what they said. They said, glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So, it's very clear that Jesus is said to be a bringer of peace, that he is said to be the prince of peace, that he is said to bring peace to those with whom he is pleased. However, in this passage, in Matthew chapter 10, right here, Jesus says of himself, he tells his disciples as they go out, he says, as you go out with this message of the gospel, as you go out telling people that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that I am here, that I am the Messiah, he says, as you do that, it will inevitably bring some division. And, and that division may even be among the closest memory, members of your family. So I, let's, let's unpack that. I, 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 don't, I don't want there to be confusion about does Jesus bring peace or doesn't he, okay? So, so I think we can get some clarity on this really quick, quickly through the scripture. So first of all, the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is the only way that anybody gets peace with God, all right? 
So, so the Bible is very clear about that, right? We're enemies of God. We're separated from God. We've ignored God. We've not treasured him. We've not loved him. We've not trusted him. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. And so we are set apart from God. And the only way, the only way that we can be right with God, the only way that we can have peace with God is through the work of Jesus Christ. Let me show you that real clearly in the scriptures in, in Romans 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, we have been justified by faith. We have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see that? One verse there. That's a very clear explanation. We've been justified by faith. So when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're joined to him. We have justification through what he did for us on the cross. And that brings us peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? So in a very real way, Jesus brings peace to all who believe in him. Okay? So if you're here this morning and you're a believer, if you're here this morning and, and you've had a moment in your life, a time in your life where you, you turned, you turned from your sin and you placed your faith in Jesus and you are right now walking as a disciple, then you have peace with God. God is not angry with you. You are his child. You have his favor. He is pleased with you all because of Jesus, all because of the work of Jesus. So Jesus indeed brings peace. Do we see that? But not only does Jesus bring peace between us and God. But for believers who, who learn to trust him, he brings actually an inner peace as well, right? So, so in fact, when, when the Bible speaks of the Holy Spirit, so every believer receives the Holy Spirit and, and the Holy Spirit's gonna do certain things in your life. As you trust him, as you yield to him, he's, he's gonna bring about what's called the fruit of the Spirit. So in Galatians chapter five, it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Right? He's, he's going to bring this kind of inner peace. One of my favorite verses uh, about stress and anxiety is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. And it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? So bring everything to God in prayer. What's going to happen? Verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, indeed, Jesus is the Prince of Peace, okay? So if you're a believer here today, you have peace with God. Why? Because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That's the only way you can have peace with God. And then as you live as a believer, and as you learn to take all of your problems and cares and worries and stresses to God, you can have this inner peace that the Bible says surpasses all understanding that will dwell inside of you. But not only that, but Jesus said that his own coming, the Bible says that Jesus' coming has brought peace to Jews and Gentiles, to male and female, to, to all who will receive the gospel. There, there is this new peace that comes from us all coming to God in the same way. So in Ephesians chapter uh, 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For he himself is our peace. Do you hear that? Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 14, he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And so Jesus is indeed the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace in the sense that nobody comes to God. Nobody has peace with God except through him. He's the Prince of Peace in the sense that he brings an inner peace to those who will learn to trust him and bring their cares and struggles to him. And he is the, he's the Prince of Peace in the sense that he has brought peace to Jew and Gentile, to, to all religions and races. Anybody who will come to Christ, there's peace. All right, but now let's deal with our text. So why then does Jesus say, 
Don't think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. I've come to set a man against his father and a daughter, a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother. Why does he say that? Well, again, remember our context, Matthew chapter 10. What, what, what's happening here? Jesus is sending out the disciples, right? They're going to bear witness. They're going to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is the mini commission, right? They're, he's sending them out. They're going to come back uh, quickly, but they're going to go through the villages around in, in Jerusalem. They're going to proclaim the kingdom of God. And here's what Jesus is so honest about. One of the things I love about Jesus, he, you, you, you just can always trust him. Like, like he never tells you something and leaves out part of the truth. He never tells you something that's going to be really great and he leaves out the hard part. He never does that. And so what he tells his disciples, he says, as you go, and as you tell people the gospel, as you tell them that Jesus is the only way, as you tell them that the only way to have peace with God is through Jesus Christ, as you tell them that he is the only means of salvation, that he is the most important thing in the universe, as you tell them that, many are going to reject that. They're going to resist that. And it's going to cause division in some of your relationships. You see, as, as believers, we are saying, hopefully, really loudly, that Jesus is Lord. I hope that's what you're saying as a believer. I hope that you're saying Jesus is Lord. I hope that you're saying he is first. He's king of all. He's the best thing. That he's our supreme allegiance. And as you say that, that will bring conflict with those who believe that something or someone else ought to be first. You see, when you are proclaiming that Jesus is first, he has to be first. Then that's going to create conflict with other people who say, no, no, no. Something else, I'm first, right? I mean, it's going to create division and sometimes that division will even be in the closest parts of your family. Here's where we as Americans, we got to work a little harder at this text than anywhere else in the world. So if I were preaching this in India, if I just said what I said just to you guys, and I said that to a group of believers in India, they would all be shaking their heads. You know why? Because every one of them, when they came to Christ, it brought division in their family. In other words, every one of them experienced some sort of ostracization, some sort of family shame, some sort of persecution. If I were preaching this in China, if I were preaching this in Indonesia, if I were preaching this anywhere in the Middle East to a group of believers, they would all know exactly what that means. To come to Jesus, to, to say, Jesus, I am yours. I put my faith in you. And as they did that, they realized that their father was going to shame them. Their mother was going to ostracize them. Their brothers and sisters might threaten them. Okay, but in America, we, we haven't, we, man, it's, it's so fortunate on us. We haven't experienced much of that. Some of you experienced some of that, actually. Um, my wife actually experienced some of that upon her conversion. Not, not near to the sense that if she lived somewhere else in the world, but she did, and some of you may, may have experienced the same thing, maybe to a slight degree. But, but here's what Jesus is really clear about. You must love him most. Okay, are we all clear on that? That's what he's saying. He's saying you must love him most. You must love him above anything. Now, when, when you hear the verse, verse 37, whoever, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Okay, when you, when you hear that verse, I, I think that rubs a lot of Americans the wrong way. And so I, I want to do a little bit of unpacking, okay? I don't want you to be misunderstood about what that says, all right? So what I want to do is I want to set a foundation for it, and then, then we'll come back and talk about it, okay? So here's the foundation. The foundation that I want to set for you is that God is very pro-family, okay? 
So God is very pro-family. So as you think about husband, wife, parent, children, as you think about that, I want you to remember that God has established those relationships, okay? I want you to remember that it was God who in Genesis 2.18 said, hey, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone, buddy. You know, and he, and he prays all the, the animals in, in front of Adam, and he's like, nope, 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 nope. And then he makes Eve and brings her to him, and he's like, wow, he sings, actually. He, he sings, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And then, and then God says in Genesis 2.24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. God created family. Family is God's idea. Not only is it God's idea, but, but he has created the, the super tight bond that we are supposed to have with our family. So in, in Ephesians 5.25, he tells us as husbands that we are to love our wives as Christ has loved the church. In Matthew 19.6, he tells us that the marriage covenant is to be forever because what God has separated, no, no man should tear apart. Bible tells us in Ephesians 6.1 that children are to obey their parents. And in Ephesians 6.2, he says they're to honor your father and mother. Even adults are to honor our father and mother. That's the first command with a promise. In 1 Timothy 5.8, the Bible tells us that if you don't provide for your family financially, if you don't take care of your family, you're worse than an unbeliever. In Hebrews 13.5, it says that marriage is to be held in honor among all and that the marriage bed is to be kept pure and undefiled. So yes, God commands us, Jesus commands us, the Bible commands us to love our families. Not only does he command that, but he empowers us to do so. But you can't love your family more than Jesus. All right, did we hear that? that that's, where, that's where things will go off the rails. They, Jesus can't take second place to our families. So what, what Jesus says here when he says in verse or 37, whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. What he's saying is that our love for Jesus must be supreme. It must be first. It must be foremost, top, chief. Jesus must be our ultimate allegiance. Nothing can come before him. Nothing can be contrary to him. Nothing, we can hold no tighter affection or higher affection in our hearts than for him. We, we can hold no higher allegiance or commitment than to him. We must treasure Jesus more than everything. We must pursue Jesus more than everything, even more than our families. Okay, he's very clear about that. So in other words, as he sends these guys out and they go proclaim the gospel and they go into their, their house and they say, Dad, I just met the Messiah. You know, he's here. Jesus is here. We can be saved. We can. And, and Dad says, Son, I want you ever to speak of this again. Don't you ever, you're betraying the family. If that, if that young man says, okay, I won't, Dad. I won't ever say anything about it again. Jesus says, you must love me more. Now, what does that look like? First of all, what does it look like to love Jesus? I think a lot of times we as Christians think that because Jesus is not here in the flesh, you know, that, that because he's not waking up in the morning in our house and eating Pop-Tarts on our couch like our kids are, you know, that, that, that somehow we, our love for him is like in a different category. Like, like it, it, actually, I don't think it is. You know why I don't think it is? Because he just said right there, Whoever loves me more than father, mother. Whoever loves me more than son or daughter. In other words, he puts it in the same category. He says, it's the same. It's the same. You got to love me more. And, and so what does that look like? Well, what does it look like to love your father and mother? What does it look like to love your children? Well, it looks like cherishing them, right? Treasuring them. Putting a high value on them. Being affectionate toward them. Right? Affection is a lot of different ways. We do that in a lot of different ways. That's what it means to, to love our family. It means 
pursuing a relationship with them, right? That, that's what we do with our families. We, we pursue a relationship. We connect, right? We check in, even when they're gone, even when they're away from us. Maybe they moved away. Like my children, several of my children have moved away. All right, so as a dad, I love them. So what do I do? I connect. I text them. Hey, how's it going? How was the test today? Hey, how's that, how's that person you're sharing with? Hey, how, how's your job going? Hey, do you need anything? Right, I'm connecting. I'm pursuing that relationship. I, I, I want to know them. I want to, I want to be affectionate to them. I want to affirm them. I want to love them. Same with Jesus. Those are the same things, guys. That's the way we love Jesus. We, we love him by valuing and cherishing and pursuing a relationship with him, by calling out to him, by checking in with him, by, by reading his word, by knowing who he is and, 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 and interacting with him in prayer. We love him in the same way. Now, there are certain things that are specific to every relationship that change the way we love people, right? Let me give you a, a great example. The Bible is very clear in Proverbs and in, in Hebrews 12 that if you love your children while they're little, you will discipline them, right? Okay? So, so in other words, loving children means disciplining them. It's a loving thing. Okay, but, but see, that doesn't work in every relationship. So if, if you think, well, okay, so I love my spouse, so I'm going to discipline them, you know? Or I love my parents, so I'm going to discipline them. Ah, it doesn't work that way, does it, right? Like, like, like there's a, a specific relationship that kind of changes the way in which you love. Now, now, you know the greatest example of that with Jesus? John 14, 15, it's very clear. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, he says, if you, if you love me, if you're going you're gonna to keep my commandments. You're, you're going you're gonna to do what I say. Did, did I get that verse wrong, Teresa? I just guessed at it. John 14, 50, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, see, for many, their family is the thing that they love most in this world. I, I think if you took a survey of people who, who, who were not Christians yet, maybe, or, or those who are Christians and, and think about before their conversion, they would absolutely say the highest commitment in their life is family. Maybe the highest pursuit in their life is family. That, I, I think many, many people would say that. But when a person comes into the kingdom of God, when a person is joined by faith to Jesus, their love for Jesus, their commitment to Jesus must come before family, even if that is divisive. Now again, for many around the world, it's just clear. It's just like when you step in the baptismal waters, you prove to everybody that you love Jesus more than you love everything else because you just gave it all up. For John Bunyan, old Brian Billings, if you're in his Sunday school class, he's been doing a uh, uh, study on Pilgrim's Progress for a long time. It's one of the greatest Christian books ever written. But John Bunyan, when he wrote that book, he was in jail. And you know the interesting thing? John Bunyan could have got out of jail every day. Every morning he could have got up and said, okay, I'm done, I'm ready to be out of jail. Because all he had to do was sign a paper that said he wouldn't preach the gospel. If he would sign that paper that said he would no longer preach the gospel, they would let him out of jail. John Bunyan, in his own testimony, said that the most difficult thing about being in jail was that his family, he was not able to care for them. So he had a wife, he had children, and he said the hardest thing was he had a blind child. He had a blind little girl, and he said he was not able to care for her like he, he wanted to because he was in prison. What did John Bunyan show very clearly with his life? That he loved Jesus more right? For you and I, it's going to be harder, isn't it? It's going to be harder to tell. So well, I guess what I'm saying is it's really easy for us to say, oh yeah, I, I love Jesus is top. But what, what, what I think we've got to do today is we've actually got to test ourselves. 
Do you love something else more? Do you love your retirement account more? Do you love your bank account more? Do you love your job more? Do you, do you love your finances more? Do you love your free time more? Do you, love, do you love your family more than you love Jesus? Now, I, 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 know, I, know, I know what we want to think. I, I, I know, I know we, we, we don't want to deal with that because loving family, particularly children, is so natural to us, right? Like, like we have this mama bear love that's in all mamas, you know, and, and, and just God put it there, I think, and it, it's a wonderful thing that, that, that all mamas, you know, when they put that little bow tie on that little guy, I mean, they are 100% convinced that that little dude is the most adorable thing on the planet, you know? I mean, I mean, it's just, there's not a doubt in their mind, you know, and he goes out there in the soccer field and he halfway sort of kicks one and it's just like that was the greatest thing I've ever that was the greatest athletic accomplishment I've ever seen in my life and so what a lot of people think is can't we just keep them there and slide Jesus He'll, he'll be close we'll slide him right underneath and my devotion to my family will be most and then Jesus will come next why can't it be that way let me try to explain why it can't be that way, okay? So here's why it can't be that way. Because Jesus is of infinite worth, okay? He is infinitely lovely, if you will, All right? So, so just think about his characteristics, his wisdom. Think about Jesus' wisdom. All right, so from the grains of sand in the bottom of the ocean to the rocks at the top of the Himalayas, Jesus formed and arranged them all in their place. That's all his handiwork. It's all his intelligence. It's all his design. The web of a garden spider and the, the, to the horn of a rhino, they're all his. Watching the sun setting over a turquoise ocean or rising over a glacial peak are but glimpses of his handiwork. Your own very children are his design. Those are his brilliance. His power and his might are beyond com- comprehension. He speaks and light years of galaxies come into existence and he holds them all together with the word of his power. His mercy and compassion are from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't he lovely? Who could be more lovely? Who could be more worthy of love than Jesus? But not only that, but my friends, Jesus has loved you more than anyone. I I know that we are built in such a way that even though that little rascal has been defiant and, and, and a little just terror all week long, we are wired in such a way that when he crawls up in our lap and nuzzles into our neck and says, Daddy, I love you, that that does something inside of us. But as believers, we need to think clearly and realize nobody's loved you like Jesus has loved you. Nobody. You, you were an enemy of God. You, you defied him and ignored him and robbed him of his glory. You were headed to hell. And he 
sought you out. He came for you. He crossed the chasm from heaven to earth, from the throne of God to the manure stable. He came for you, and he offered his life for you, and he yielded his reputation for you, and he was slandered for you, and his face was beaten for you, and his back was scourged for you, and his blood was shed for you, that he might join you to himself, that you might live. Nobody's loved you like Jesus. Nobody has. Nobody's given to you what Jesus has given to you. Nobody's given his his own righteousness in your account. Nobody's given forgiveness of all your sins. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, a place at the Father's table, an eternal home in the new heavens and the new earth. Nobody's given the crown of life or the resurrection body or fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Nobody has sacrificed more for your good than any... Nobody's done that but Jesus. And he is working all things together for good. Jesus will be more to you than anything. I was trying to think of what is it that the beautiful thing that God must have done that enables us to love our families like we do. What is that? Because I'll just be honest. I know this is not your family. You are the exception to this, okay? So don't get mad. But a, a lot of families are real stinkers, you know? I mean, like, it's not even a comparison. So what is it? And, and I was trying to think of that. And, and you know what came to my mind? This little phrase came to my mind. Well, it's because they're ours. It's because they're mine. Why, why do we love them? Like we do, because I guess because they're mine. I, I don't know what's all in that, but isn't that true? Like, isn't there something in that that, you know, it, it's not that you looked at all the kids in the church and you're like, well, mine is the best, so I'm going to love them. No. You love yours because they're yours. Is there anything like that in our relationship with Jesus? I happen to be reading Isaiah this past week. Oh, the end of the. Into the 30s, chapter 30, the 30s chapters and the beginning of the 40s chapters in Isaiah are so, so good. Listen, listen. But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Hear that? You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up in the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and whom I made. You see, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the same is true. He is yours and you are his. And so it's not right for you to love something more than Jesus. Do you, do you hear the phrase that keeps coming up in this? Whoever loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. That should be a phrase that frightens you. 
Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. What does that mean, is not worthy of me? It means it's not right. It means it's not fitting. It's not appropriate. It means you must not know who he is. Listen, if you're sitting there thinking, my child is more impressive than Jesus, or my, my husband is more virtuous than Jesus, or my wife is more wise than Jesus, if you're thinking my kid loves me more than Jesus, if you're thinking my family will bring more happiness, more joy forever than Jesus, if you're thinking my job is more important for my future than Jesus, then what is certain is you don't know Jesus and you probably don't know your family very well. Because loving other things more than Jesus is idolatry. And it actually makes a disastrous relationship. I tell you what, if, if you, if you want to make a disaster of your family, make an idol of them. Children make terrible gods. First of all, it's, it's hard on the worshiper. It's really hard on the parent worshiper. But it, I, it's even worse on the kid who is treated like he's the top. So what is, what is Jesus telling us here? He is saying anything that comes into competition with or comes into conflict with Jesus must yield. Should you, you, love, should you love your families? Absolutely. But anything that comes into conflict with your relationship with Jesus has got to yield. I, I think about driving in India. Driving in India, there's, there's no rules that I can tell. Um, everything's on the road. Cows, chickens, monkeys, camels, water buffalo, Naked toddlers, bicycle riders, tuk-tuk drivers, a few cars, and trucks. And then they will all drive in the same direction, abreast of one another, weaving in and out. And there's, there's one rule. If something is bigger than you, then you yield to it. You, you, everybody yields to the truck. When the truck comes, everybody goes. You may go left, you may go right, but you go somewhere, you yield to it. Here's, here's what Jesus is saying. He is the truck. He's the big thing. So everything else must yield to him. And and if it doesn't, then you may find yourself missing the kingdom of God. There's this great parable that Jesus tells in Luke 14 where he describes the kingdom of God as a feast. A great feast. And many people are invited. Here's the story. Verse 16 of Luke 14, he says, But he said to them, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent for his servant to say, Go, tell those who've been invited, Come! Everything's ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field. I got to go out and see it. Please have me excused. You see what he's saying? He's saying, the field is more important than the feast. Right? Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. What's he saying? He's saying, my business, my, 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 my money-making machine is more important than the feast. And another said, I've married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. What's he saying? My family is more important than Jesus, than the feast. Then the master of the house became angry and said to the servant, go out quickly in the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Why, why bring them in? You know why? Because they will know that there's nothing more important than the feast. And the servant said, Sir, what you've commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. They, they're going to miss it. 
If you love something more than Jesus, you will miss Jesus. Now, whatever is in conflict to our supreme love for Christ is going to lose, okay? So there's going to be loss. So, so in verse 39, uh, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Okay, so there's two types of losing here. Actually, you're, you're going to lose. It's just which type of losing are you going to have? So the first, first section, or the first paraphrase, he's there, first um, phrase, he says, whoever finds his life will lose it. In other words, if you keep your life, in other words, if you say, okay, this is what I love. I love my job. I love my money. I love my family. And, and I'll put Jesus, I'll bring him in, but he's got to, he's got to go under this. He's got to go second. He, he can't, can't, this is the most important thing. Then, then Jesus says, you'll lose it. You'll lose it all. But he says, if you'll lose your life, okay. In other words, if you, if you will, if you will be willing to say, Jesus, you, you are supreme. You're my supreme love. You're my supreme allegiance. And I come hard after you. He says, then you'll find your life. Now, what does he mean by that? Does he, does he mean there won't be any, any loss at all? No, no real loss. No real, this is all just kind of, you know, as soon as you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and, and say he's your supreme love, then everybody will just love you for it and you won't have any division. He's not saying that because he just told us there's going to be division. What, what I believe he's saying very clearly is what he says in Mark 10, that Jesus will make up for anything you lose. In other words, your loss won't really be lost. So listen, listen to Mark 10, 29. This, this comes in the context of, of, of the disciples saying, Jesus, we left everything and followed you, so what, what's gonna happen to us? And in verse 29, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers, see there's family, or father or there children or lands for my name's sake and for the gospel who will not receive, it's just, do you believe it today? That's, that's the, do you believe it? Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. I don't know how he's going to do all that. He does not tell us. But what he says is, whatever you give up for the gospel, I will make up for. A hundredfold. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, I'm going to finish with some incredibly good news. I hope it is good news for you, okay? Not only do you gain, okay? When you, when you love Jesus most, not only do you gain your life in some way, God makes all that right in you. Not only do you gain, but actually you begin to really love. So, so not only do you gain, but actually it's the best thing for everybody around you. Your family gains. So in other words, what I'm telling you is that is that if you put your family first, they lose. You lose. If you put your family second, and Jesus is first, everybody wins. Now, they, again, they may not be happy about it. They may, but, but here's what I'm telling you. It is the best thing for them. There is no situation in which you love Jesus most, and it's the worst thing for your family. There, just, there isn't a situation there. It's always the best thing. It's always the best thing for their soul. It's always the best thing for their eternal good. It's always the best thing for their long time joy and forever happiness is to see you treasuring Jesus above everything else. Now, let, let, me, let me finish with, I think, the best thing here. When you love Jesus most, you actually are enabled to love people best. Okay, 
So what, what I'm telling you is love for Jesus does not take away love for other people. It actually magnifies love for other people. It actually perfects love for other people. Do you remember how Jesus said the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he always said something next. What do you always say next? He said the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Those aren't two disconnected commandments. It's not, okay, you love God this one way and you love your neighbor. No, 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 you love God. And as you love God most, you are enabled, you are empowered to love others. You see, you begin to love others with the love that God puts in you. I want you, I want you to trace this uh, in, in John. There's this really cool passage in John 17 where Jesus is praying. He's praying to his father. And, and just, just tra- trace, trace this, okay? So, so John 17 um, the last verse there, 26, he says, yeah, I think it's the last verse. It's just the last one on the page. Yep, okay. Uh, I made known to them your name. So he's, Jesus is talking to his father. And I will continue to make it known that, here's what's gonna happen, that the love with which you loved me, okay, so the father loves the son. He puts, he loves the son, okay. May be in them, in those who believe, okay. So father loves the son, and then those who believe, the Father's love that was in the Son now is in those who believe, and I in them. If you, if you read the book of 1 John, it's full of this, okay? The book of 1 John basically says, if you love God, you will love other people. Like, like, like you never put Jesus first and stop loving people. No, you put Jesus first, and actually God enables you to love others the way you ought to love them. Not in an idolatrous way. But, but in a way that actually blesses them. So, so listen, listen how John talks. This is 1 John 4. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. See, let us love one another. Why? Because the love is from God. And whoever loves, whoever's loving one another, they've been born of God, they know God, because they got it from God. Verse 11, chapter 4. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. If God's loving us, we're in love one another. Look at verse uh, 19. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. I mean, how many times does John have to say it? What he's saying is, if you have loved God, if it, then you've received the love of God, and now that love's coming out of you to others. But that only works if Jesus is first. Man, when you put somebody else first, when you put something else first, when you make something else your God, you actually can't love anybody the way you ought to love them. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to test yourselves this morning. I want us, I want us to do that. I, I want us to examine our own hearts, just asking, what do I love most? You know, and, and let's, let's, not, let's not play games with each other. Let's not say, hey, I, it's Jesus. Like, that's the right answer, right? Uh, okay, but is it? Like, do you, do you really love him? Do you really cherish him? Do you really treasure him? Do you really adore him? Do you, do you really pursue him? Do you really cultivate a relationship with him? No, are, are you really interacting with him? Are you really obeying him? Do you really trust him? Do you love him most? And if you love him most, then man, he's gonna enable you to love everything else rightly. So let's... let's Let's examine our hearts as we pray together, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. You examine your heart this morning. Father, I just pray for just a real sense of uh, self-introspection, God. I pray that you would um, just show us, God, show us what we love most. 
Father, show us where our allegiance is. Show us, Father, where our, our great joy is. And God, I pray that it would be in you. Father, I pray that if there are those here today, they don't, they don't know you. They don't know you as this God. God, I pray that they would come to know you. I pray that they would come to see how fantastic and how beautiful and how powerful, how wonderful you are, how much you've loved them, and how, how you, you will change their hearts and enable us to love rightly. Father, we ask that you'd make these things clear to us. We ask God tonight in our small groups that you'd help us to unpack them, to, to discuss them, to, to search out how, how we can love you in the best way. Father, I pray for help. I pray for your guidance. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand, please? And we're going to sing.